I think ultimately the key to everyone's heart is through their stomach. Filipino food is from your home. It's like umami on steroids. Filipino flavors are intense. You know, it's a punch in the mouth. It's a journey. Welcome to Chewing the Fat, the Yale Sustainable Food Program's podcast that looks at people making change in the complex world of food and agriculture. I'm your host, Erwin Lee. Earlier, that was a clip from Ulam Main Dish, the first food documentary following the rise of the Filipino food movement via chefs crossing over to the center of the American table. To learn more about the film, we hosted its director, Alexandra Cuerdo, on our show. Ulam was Alexandra's feature directorial debut and recently earned her a spot in the Filipino Women's Network's list of 100 most influential Filipino women, as well as features in publications like the New York Times and LA Times. Take a listen as she chats with podcast manager Amy Zhang. So my question is, what do you think is the relationship between film and food? And can you speak to what you hope for when the two are combined? Gosh, I mean, I think it really depends on, you know, your culture, right? Like your specific film, your specific food. Um, for me, I mean, you saw the film last night. It's it's definitely, you know, a crowd pleaser. It's definitely the kind of film that uh, you walk away hungry from. Um, I, I really wanted to design it to be as accessible as possible because uh, I think always, what would I watch Right mm. at the end of a long day, what do I want to watch? I want to watch something that uh, seems like it will lift me up or make me feel something, um, but also isn't uh, so inaccessible or so dark. Because I think that in the world we live in now, we experience a lot of that. You know, every time I open up the news app on my phone, it's just so intense. <laughs> it's very, very dark, very doom and gloom very much this country is falling apart, you know, that's sort of what I am hearing from all sources. And so when I go to entertainment, you know, there is a part that I think of me that wants to escape. And I think a lot of people share that now. Um, So again, you know, I made my specific food documentary as a way to introduce these complicated issues of identity and culture and um, even you know, microaggression and uh, racism. We can talk about all of this in the context of food because food is a, is a connector and it's sort of a gateway to talking about culture. It's uh, It creates like a safe space because it's something that we all have in common, right? We all love food. So uh, how do we use uh, sort of that hook to bring in a wider audience that may not have considered watching a movie on uh, Asian American identity? You know, for mm-hmm. me, that was that was the relationship between film and food for my film. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Tell us more about the process of putting together Ulam. It's a film that has almost none of your own narration and instead profiles a number of chefs and different restaurateurs. How did you come to meet these folks and what was the most important thing in telling their stories? Absolutely. So um, it's interesting that you say that it has none of my own narration because that was a choice. Um, I did not want a God voice, plain and simple. I didn't want a narrator. I didn't want a person that would be the authority on Filipino food because, first off, I don't think there is a singular authority on Filipino food. The Philippines is an archipelago, over 7,000 islands, 
over 7,000 ways to make mm-hmm. different kinds of food. And, uh, and I think that's a strength. And I think that regionality can be really celebrated. And so in that way, I didn't even want to profile just one chef. I wanted to profile many chefs because I wanted them to be able to say, in my own words, this is what Filipino food means to me. And that, I think, is the most valuable thing. When you make the leaders of the movement uh, representative of the people that are part of the movement, right? So um, this is sort of like I've heard a lot in Activism 101, right? Who's leading the movement? Uh, That's how you know if uh, the principles of the movement are being reflected on the grand scale. So in the same way, I really wanted to have Filipino faces, Filipino chefs primarily, discussing and being the authority on Filipino food. Because as much as I love many, many cooking shows uh, that I've seen on on Netflix and on uh, CNN and on Food Network, a lot of times what we see is a white guy. <laughs> Let's just say it. You see a white guy explaining someone else's food. Or you see a white guy uh, going on a tour through Asia and experiencing as an outsider someone else's food. Um, which I think is not always bad, but it does have a tendency to exoticize and to other a culture and to other a food. And so for me, when I was making this film, I thought, well, screw that, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, let's make the authorities, like, who is more of an authority than the chef, right? Um, you can argue food historians as well, but in my film, I really wanted to not just discuss the food, but what it took to make it. You know, because Filipino food to many is still considered a risk. And I wanted to figure out why, you know, because that was a big question at the center of Ulam, which is why hasn't Filipino food crossed over till now? Why has it been seen as such a risk? It's so interesting how you present chefs as the face of this growing food movement. So I'm wondering when you interview the chefs, did they know that they were the face of this movement? Yes, Yes. uh, It's always been, from the very beginning, a chef-driven story. Um, Because I think that often, you know, I don't know. I think think now it's changed a little bit with docu-series like Chef's Table. Um, But I think that before, you know, you didn't really get a spotlight all the time on chefs. You know, the concept of a celebrity chef really only came into being, I think, in the last 20 years. So it's it's interesting. I definitely wasn't looking to interview celebrity chefs, though. I was looking to interview people who uh, were very open about being um, Filipino chefs or makers of Filipino food and who had restaurants. Because at the time, there were many pop-ups, but not as many restaurants. And Mm -hmm. now there are more restaurants, which is great. It means the pop-ups worked. But Mm -hmm. uh, that said... I still wanted to focus on people who are like, I'm a Filipino, and this is my restaurant. You know, this is Filipino food. It's not Pan-Asian. It's not fusion. It's Filipino. And it's my take on Filipino food. Part of Ulam deals with the decisions that chefs have to make regarding authenticity. Their experiences and contacts inform the ingredients, flavors, cooking techniques, and presentation of their dishes, not to mention restaurant decor and image. As Filipino food becomes more mainstream, what do you hope for its wider acceptance and development? 
That's a question <laughs> with a capital Q. Oh, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, basically, it, it sounds like you're asking, what's what's the future? What's the future of Filipino food? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my answer would be, honestly, I hope that Filipino food is one of the takeout menus that shows up on your doorstep. You know, I hope that Filipino food is something that you watch a bunch of people some Filipino, some not, uh, eating for takeout on TV. You know, Mm -hmm. I hope that Filipino food is not just limited to one or two restaurants that are profiled in the news, but that you see Filipino food everywhere in every city and every state Um, because it's worthy, you know. It's delicious. It's indicative of a culture that I think is all about giving and all about community. And I think that... uh, even to have a multitude of Filipino restaurants would be great because it would mean a multitude of Filipino businesses. And I think that that kind of economic support um, is, in, you know, is incredible. And I think that, that that's what I would hope the future would look like for Filipino food, mm-hmm. is Filipino food for all. <laughs> Earlier you talked about how Filipino chefs are making Filipino dishes in their own way. So in your documentary, the idea of complexity of authenticity is explored in the way that second-generation Filipino and even non-Filipino chefs are redefining Filipino cuisine and adapting how traditional dishes are made. Have you dealt with this kind of tension as a Filipino-American in your own life and in your own work? Um, I think when it comes to, you know, food specifically, authenticity is often just uh, what came from your family. What are your memories, right? Uh, authentic is really what um, what is authentic to you personally. Uh, the more you talk to people, the more you realize, at least for me, uh, that authenticity is is a malleable concept. You know, there is no one authentic in the same way that there is no one right uh, way to do things. And in media, it's interesting because. I think authenticity has started to almost indicate a kind of truth. If you have an authentic story, it's considered to be a truer one. So um, I think that, you know, it's really neither here nor there. But for me, it's all about what are your intentions? You know, for me, with Ulam, my intentions were to put Filipinos that were very articulate um, and very experienced on screen, you know. I wanted people to see them as authorities, you know. I wanted people to see them uh, the way that I see them, which is as role models, you know, as inspiring figures, Um, which is something that I think we don't see all the time, you know. We don't really see Asian representation. Um, I don't really ever see the authority on any show, on any movie being consulted as being uh, Filipino. You know, um, and if they are consulted, they're the doctor and they have one line. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a caricature. It's a stereotype. And I think that the more Asian faces we have on screen, the more diversity of experiences we're sort of allowed to have, the more diversity of experiences we're allowing ourselves to have. Yeah, media representation for Asian Americans has become a spotlight issue for these communities. So how do you see food movements in particular working alongside this cause for representation? 
And, you know, it's it's so simple, but it's so powerful um, that, you know, media, I really feel like has the ability to educate and also to uh, humanize people to those that uh, may not have experiences with ethnic groups. You know, I grew up, I was really lucky I grew up in California. There's just so many Asians everywhere, <laughs> like as far as the eye can see. It's just, just it, you know, everywhere, everywhere you look. And, you know, I remember coming to the East Coast for the first time and realizing, oh, dang, like it's mm-hmm. not the same everywhere. And, um, and it's just interesting when you grow up seeing your face reflected back at you, um, even if it's just in college, you know, or, you know, your classmates or people you work with, um, you kind of believe that there's a whole world of opportunity for you. Um, and people say this in film a lot. You know, there's a cliche, but it's it's kind of true. If you can see it, you can be it. And uh, if all we're doing is finding our heroes in Caucasian people, if all we're doing is finding our love stories and our uh, food and our experiences of new cultures in Caucasian people, then how can we understand our own ability to do that as Asian Americans? Um, why can't we have Asian American love stories? Why can't we have Asian American food documentaries? In just making Ulam, I've been so blown away by the impact of literally making one film. You know, there have been just honestly the the sweetest and sometimes the most heartbreaking emails I've gotten from young filmmakers, young women mostly, saying, "Wow, I have never seen anything that represents." who I am on screen until now. Um, People saying, oh, I never knew that it would be possible for a Filipino female director to uh, make a movie. (laughs) You know, that for many uh, people, this was the first film they had seen made by a female Asian director, which blows my mind because we have so (laughs) many great films out. But it's it's interesting to, to, you know, to go back to something I said last night, it's you know, we're the first Filipino food documentary to get a worldwide distribution deal. That's awesome. But why are we the first? You know, I, I wish almost that we weren't the first because these firsts you know, shouldn't really be happening in our lifetime. They should have happened 30 years ago, 50 years ago, you know. And in my ideal future, I would hope that there would be, you know, a multitude of Asian food documentaries or uh, just Asian films created by Asian people about the Asian experience. Um, so that's that's what I hope for. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you have any particular thoughts on the importance of media representation for the older folks in America, so the generation of immigrants who came, so your parents' generation. I wonder if you have any thoughts about the importance of media representation to that generation. Absolutely. <laughs> um, actually, my next film, I, I actually want to set um, in the Philippines and about my parents' generation um, mm-hmm. because of that exact question. Um, who tells our stories? Who tells our histories? You know, who's allowed to tell our histories? Um, so far, most of the films I've seen set uh, in the Philippines, uh, like major motion pictures, have been um, Caucasian lead films, 100%, you know. 
there are there is like a thriving Filipino film community. Um, unfortunately, most of those films never leave the Philippines, uh, which is crazy because there's so many great films. But it's it's a problem, you know. Um, we're making movies, but they're not getting seen around the world. And so the idea, you know, for me is if we can have more Asian American creators, more Asian American uh, writers, directors, and not just Asian American, right? Just Asian people of color, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, div- diverse perspectives. If we can have more of that, uh, you know, then we can represent ourselves uh, not just now, but represent our past. You know, and then we can, in a way, educate the world on who we are and where we come from and why we matter. It's it's not enough to just talk about now. How did now come to be? You know, I am here because my parents, you know, fled Marcos. <laughs> they fled martial law. Um, that's why I'm here. So why should we forget about that? I don't think we should. You know, I think that we have to honor the sacrifices of the people that came before us. Um, and that's not just because I'm a good Asian kid, but that's because I really believe that, you know. And I think that we're the best ones to tell that story. Mm. I think you and other people in your generation are in a very interesting position between, so in your particular situation, you're between the Philippines, the country, and America, the place that you were born and raised. Mm -hmm. So how do you navigate that position between these two countries and between these two identities? Girl, that's a book. (laughs) (laughs) That is like a whole thesis. (laughs) Because it's, it's, I mean, it's true. It's tough. It's tough, you know. Um, It's really tough because every time I go back to the Philippines, I'm reminded of how much privilege I have, how much privilege I had growing up in the U.S., um, how much privilege I had growing up with parents who were making U.S. dollars, you know, and sending uh, that back to the Philippines. My parents were the ones sending the money. They weren't the ones receiving the money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really just, where are you? What, what side of the coin are you on? And that comes with privilege. You know, my parents did really well. They, you know, were very smart, very educated, and they had the chance to go and and leave the Philippines at this very sort of critical time in Philippine history. And um, they also made the choice to not go back, which is tough, right? How do you leave and then um, only go back to visit your parents? How do you leave and only go back to visit your brothers and sisters and their kids? It's a really uh, hard choice. And uh, I saw sort of that wear on them over time. And I think in that same way for me, like when I go back to the Philippines, I don't just see the reality of what's in front of me. I see the places my parents walked. I see um, the world that my parents grew up in and how different it is from the world that I grew up in. And it's, it's tough. It's tough to reconcile that because there's a part of me that thinks, well, if they never left, who would I be? My perspective would be so different. That's really it, you know? And so I'm always trying to figure out, you know, when I'm in the Philippines, I feel so American. Mm -hmm. And when sometimes when I'm in America, I feel so Filipino. And I think that it's it's not a bad thing. I think it's just a a duality, an identity. 
And I think that the more I learn about being Filipino and being American, I kind of see it as a superpower because <laughs> it's like being able to to like flip a switch and see the world from this whole different perspective. Part of it is gratitude, right? And realizing, wow, I'm so thankful for everything that's been given to me, for the fact that I was able to go to, you know, great college, great school. But beyond that, it's it's just like think about your problems, you know? Would you trade them for the problems that you would have growing up in another place? And for me, the answer is no. You got to make the best of what we got. <laughs> yeah. um, I understand you were in the Philippines recently. So what did you think when you entered the world of food there? Did it remind you of home when you were growing up? What kind of memories did it give you, if any? I mean, the Filipino food scene right now is like exploding. It's totally amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's, I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many great restaurants in the Philippines. Um, one in particular is a place called Toyo Eatery. Um, and it was the first time that I had Filipino food that was presented in, I would say, a Michelin-y way. You know, like 8 to 16 course tasting menu, small bites, beautiful plating, great cocktails. And I was like, where am I right now? Like, is this Manila? Like, it, it just blew me away. And it made me realize how out of it I've been. So returning back to the American food landscape, the price of food is ultimately a sticking point for many in accepting and eating foods. Can you elaborate more on what Ulam discusses about a crab mentality among Filipinos and what your thoughts on affordably yet deserved pricing for Filipino cuisine might look like? Yes, that is the number one thing that <laughs> I would say the older generation uh, criticizes about a lot of these new restaurants is it's so expensive. And it's something we talk about in the film pretty explicitly, which is uh, what do you value then? What are your values? In, and by that I mean uh, how much do you think Filipino food is worth, right? A lot of us grew up eating Filipino food at home, which is great. Mom's cooking, Lola's cooking, always going to be the best. That doesn't mean that you can't value someone else's mother's cooking. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't value going to a restaurant that pays its employees a fair price, that sources incredibly fresh ingredients, um, that's essentially farm to table to a certain degree, and that is serving you their take, often a, their regional take on Filipino cuisine. I mean, that is something to be valued. You know, you're valuing the time and the effort and the training and the years and the sweat equity of opening up a restaurant. You know, that's, and then on top of that, you're valuing a Filipino-owned small business in your community. I mean, it, it's so much more, right, than, oh, man, I never want to pay more than, you know, $10 for chicken adobo because I can make it at home, right? It's about... Of what are you supporting with your dollar? I think that uh, it, it's just a matter of time. I think the younger generation is really embracing uh, these new restaurants, partially because, um, you know, they're growing up. They're growing up. They're moving away. Some of them are making Filipino food at home, and other people just want to order it to go, you know? And so having a diversity of restaurants is really, really great. 
The Filipino restaurant scene is very diverse. Um, your film highlights a lot of the newer, second-generation Filipino chefs. Can you talk more about the first-generation Filipino chefs and smaller Filipino restaurants? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely say the mom-and-pop restaurants pave the way. That restaurant that opens across from the hospital where all the nurses eat, <laughs> that is the restaurant that um, I grew up with, basically. You know, I grew up going to West Covina and eating at the Turoturo spots, point-point joints, you know, and loving it. Um, the interesting thing, though, is when I looked around, all the people I saw were Filipino. Uh, it was a restaurant that really served the Filipino community first. And uh, because it was in a primarily Filipino area, um, not many other people got to try that food. And so it's interesting to see Filipino food now in downtown L.A. or uh, in the East Village in New York City. I mean, we're talking about high-rent, high-traffic areas. And you go to these restaurants and you look around and you see that everybody is eating Filipino food, you know, not just Filipinos. Um, you'll see Filipinos too, but it's, it's a restaurant that because of its location, just because of its location, is catering to a wider audience. And, you know, that was to me what was so interesting about uh, making Ulam is we were able to follow the restaurants that were really crossing over the cuisine. Um, as much as I 100% bow down to the mom and pop shops because they were the ones that made these new restaurants uh, viable and they were honestly the inspiration for I think a lot of these restaurateurs now. I was very curious about restaurants that were, you know, very um, visible. Really what it is, very visible uh, in a global way, um, very visible to the media, very visible with Filipino identity, and uh, very visible in being in high-rent areas. It was really a game-changer that a lot of these restaurants opened up where they did. Mm. I understand that you have a book coming out soon. Um, can you tell us more about its content as well as other projects you're currently working on? Yeah, so um, so I was really um, grateful uh, to be brought on to be the co-writer for uh, this book uh, tentatively called Amboy, uh, Recipes from the Filipino-American Dream. Um, I co-wrote it with one of my good friends, uh, Chef Alvin Kailan, um, known most famously for his chain of restaurants, Egg Slut. And uh, he also has The Usual in New York City and is soon to open Amboy uh, in Nolita. So uh, we spent the last few months working on that. Um, such a fun time, basically getting to eat all of the great Filipino food. <laughs> so that was a, it was a great gig. Um, and uh, now in the future, I'm looking to do a hopefully TV series um, that's like an extension of Ulam. I would say maybe it's a sequel uh, in which we take Filipino chefs and we uh, bring them back to the Philippines. So that uh, is in the works. And then um, also uh, writing a few films, one being a film on my parents' experience uh, in the Philippines. And um, we'll see. We'll see. It's very exciting. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. On Chewing the Fat, we like to close our podcast by asking our guests to challenge any food myth they find issue with. Do you have anything you'd like to comment on? Uh, Filipino food is all brown. Not true. <laughs> um, Filipino food is uh, beautiful, colorful, fresh. 
some of it is stewed, but not all of it is brown. <laughs> so <laughs> I do want to say that uh, for any of the titas listening out there, I love you. Your food is still the best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you. From the Yale Sustainable Food Program, this has been Chewing the Fat. To learn more about Alexandra's work, you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Alexandra Cuerdo and at Ulam the Movie. Options to watch Ulam are also available at www.ulamthemovie.com. This episode was produced by myself, Allison Park, Amy Zhang, and Thomas Hagen. Mixing by Ryan McAvoy of the Yale Broadcast Studio. Music by Eddie Joe Antonio and Louis De Felice. Program support by Jacqueline Mono, Jeremy Oldfield, and Mark Bomford. We're empowered by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this content, do help us spread the word about our podcast by sharing with your friends, subscribing, rating us on Apple Podcasts, or writing us at sustainablefood at yale.edu. Maybe all the above. See you in two weeks.